Today we revisit an early episode, unlucky number 13, about the Illuminati and the New World Order. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, revisit? I don't believe we've ever actually talked about the Illuminati, who definitely do not exist, and the whole New World Order stuff. Well, that's the kind of nonsense that John Rappaport and Paul Joseph Watson twitter on about all the time. Yeah, I know you don't often remember old episodes, or even recent ones, but we definitely have talked about the Illuminati more than once. Look, Josh, we have never discussed these topics. As an associate professor at a prestigious university, I would never dine to even suggest the existence of a shadowy organisation controlling the everyday affairs of humankind, an organisation which might, some have suggested, give away luxury yachts to researchers who poo-poo the existence of such groups. Your Honour, I present Exhibit A to the court. Objection? Overruled. Counsel, you may continue. And by you, I mean me. My lord, I present you a recording from July 2014. So, to confirm, that's two meat packs, three lots of diapers, extra large, four metres of tinfoil, one broccoli and eight paper plates slightly spoiled? That's correct. Well, send that out later this afternoon. Is there anything else I can do for you today? No thanks, that's all I need. Well, thank you for your order, ma'am. Please shop with us again. That was Exposing the Seedy Underbelly and Dark Secrets of... The New World Order. I put it to the court that this proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Dr. Dentith was present on the day of the recording and does indeed know of prior work by themselves on the topic of the Illuminati and the New World Order. This is most troubling, Mr. Addison. Dr. Dentith, how do you, sorry, how do I plead? Not guilty. Uh, I was meant to say that. Oh, then guilty. Indeed, Mr. Addison, the evidence does indeed demonstrate your guilt through and through. I will now pass sentence. You... Yes? ...must now record yet another episode of the podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy. May God have mercy on us all. God damn you dirty apes. The podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy, featuring Josh Addison and M. Dentith. and welcome to the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy it is me josh edison alive and well in auckland new zealand and uh, sorry actually where are you right at the moment i'm in the mysterious capital of the country some know it as wellington others know it as a name that cannot be uttered on a podcast Mm. so there you are in wellington new zealand we have dr m rx dentith So, so so even though i'm back from overseas and it, it's it's feasible, given that we're in the same country, to record like in the same room, like we used to many years ago. We can't because a now we're in different cities, and also b I I no longer have have easy access to an automobile on account of uh, that that flooding business. Oh, nonsense. It was just it was just a minor bit of rainfall. Nothing bad actually happened. I mean, it's sort of houses weren't falling. Houses were falling off cliffs. I mean, that definitely didn't happen. No, obviously not. But I will and, say... I mean, nobody drowned. Except well, for those, from the except people, those did. people who did, yes. Uh, yes and, so. and there hasn't been any major damage to any equipment, apart from your apart desktop from computer, yes. a flooded house, a whole bunch of other things. But we don't need to worry well, about those things or talk about those things on this podcast. They're not salient to the kind of discussions we have on the podcast as Guide to the Conspiracy. Unless, of course, you're listening to a bonus episode, at which point they become very salient indeed. Yes, so if you want to know what I've been up to for the past three weeks, uh, listen to the bonus episode. We'll have a have a bit of a ramble about that. But for now, all you need to know is, A, 
I cannot easily get to M's house for uh, recording in person, even which is irrelevant because M isn't actually uh, in Auckland at the moment. And Look, Josh, also, you are very close to the airport. You could have jumped on a flight and been down here tonight to record in person. It was well, I mean, the, you. getting on a plane, flying down to Wellington, recording a podcast, and then immediately going home on another flight. Aside from the fact that I then have to get to the airport and also pay for flights with money yeah, that I currently need got, to pay for things like new cars. We've got, we've got patron monies for oh, flights. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. We can, can be we, we actually really could go wild and go, yeah, just going to fly down to Wellington to do a one-off recording and fly mm. straight back. Mm. That would be a responsible use of our funds, I'm sure. I mean, what, what else are we going to spend the funds on? Luxury yachts? Mm, well, we're, we're actually, given the, the weather conditions yachts. in Auckland, luxury yeah, no, yachts seem like actually no. a good investment. Mm. Uh, so anyway, as I say, we'll talk more about this in the bonus episode, but we do, we have an actual an actual episode to record since I'm back and Ian's no longer forced to come up with filler episodes in my absence. Um, and it's time for a back to the conspiracy episode, and and we're we're revisiting one of the first. One of the first—it's not actually the first dozen. It's one of the first baker's dozen of episodes, episode thirteen about the unlucky for some. Mm. Do we, we have a chime? Don't we? We do. We oh, do. That- We're going to put it in somewhere about here. Buckle up! We're going back to the conspiracy. Yes, that's another thing I should point out. My because my computer that I do the editing on got ruined. It's also the computer in which I stored all the like source stuff, like all the stings and things. So I'm going to have to get copies of all of those again off of you at some time. And then I'll be able to play something as charming and fanciful as the sting you just heard. But for now, I can just get on with the episode, which is about the Illuminati and the New World Order, who we talked about first in July 2014. 2014 was a long time ago. It was almost... It was... It was the year was nine years ago. This episode is almost nine years ago, getting disturbingly close to that. Mm, disturbingly so. Mm. And uh, so back then we were sort of we were sort of doing a bit of the the conspiracy theory greatest hits a little bit. We were sort of like you know everything was new and fanciful, and we like we, we thought wow we can we can just talk you know what, what's what's the most obvious sort of thing to talk about when you're a conspiracy theory podcast and right near the top of the list were these two the Illuminati and the New World Order who are sort of synonymous sometimes and other times not and it all gets a little bit confused and we'll get into some of that later but maybe we should start with a bit of history so who are the illuminati well i mean that's a good question why are the illuminati which we go back to 2040 well i can't tell you who's in the illuminati because if i told you i'd have to kill every single listener of the podcast Mm. that could take that could take a few hours perhaps there are people who live overseas and also joked about flying you down to wellington we don't quite have enough money to fly me all around the world to kill all of our listeners Mm. i mean 36 people it's quite a lot of money we consider they're scattered throughout the entire Mm -hmm. globe Maybe we need to somehow arrange to have all of our listeners in one place for just such a contingency. Some kind of podcaster's guide to the conspiracy theory conference where we bring Mm. all the people into one room and then I reveal who belongs in the Illuminati and then kill everyone Mm. with maybe a chainsaw. Perhaps we've said too much. 
Uh, back to the topic at hand, Illuminati, where'd well, they come from? So the point I was going to make was back in 2014, when we did episode 13, we went, well, you know, we'll probably devote an episode to the actual history of the real Illuminati at some point. So we'll just skip over the thing and just go, the Illuminati were a real organization that operated in Bavaria, but let's talk about what people say about them now. Turns out we actually never did that episode on the history no, of not. the Illuminati. So we should probably talk briefly about who the Illuminati were, because what's interesting about Illuminati conspiracy theories is that they are touching on a shadowy organization. Organization? Organization. Yes, that's a word. A shadowy organization, which might also be an organization, that did exist in Bavaria in the 18th century. And this is where I end up going... I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce the name of the person who founded it. I believe it's Adam Vashop, but Vyshop, I may be getting, yep. that com- getting that completely wrong. So Adam Vashop was born on the 6th of February, 1748, in Ingolstadt, in the electorate of Bavaria, which is now part of G- G- Germany, but in those days was simply part of Bavaria. He was brought up as a rationalist and enrolled at the University of Ingolstadt, where he graduated in 1768 at the age of 20 with a doctorate of law, and he then stayed on and became a professor of law. After Pope Clement suppressed the Jesuit order in 1773, Walsh became the professor of canon or church law, a position which formerly had only been held by Jesuits, but because Pope Clement had quite usefully got rid of the Jesuits, suddenly Vashelp had the ability to be a canon law or church law specialist. And one year later, once he's in his professorial robes working at the University of Engelstolt, then he becomes the leader of the Illuminati of Bavaria. Yes, yeah, so he went through a few names. Apparently, originally, it was called the, the uh, Bund der Perfectibilisten, or Covenant of Perfectibility. Well, yes, that, that is a bit of a mouthful, even for German. He went through a few other names and then eventually settled, settled on Illuminaten Orden, the Order of Illuminati, and Illuminati, of course, being, being Latin for, you know, like illuminated or enlightened in this particular sense. He, so it was sort of a, it was a, a, a quote-unquote secret society in the mould of the Freemasons. I gather he, he wasn't quite, he, he, he didn't, didn't quite agree with the Freemasons. I, I think partly he thought they were too expensive. But he sort of it was it was a case of the the whole um Bender from Futurama thing. I alright, fine, I'm gonna build my own Freemasons with blackjack and hookers. Only only this time he actually forgot the blackjack and hookers. But so he sort of set up a secret society that was like the Freemasons but not. We're not hundred percent sure what the purpose was. Some say it was um to to uh, promote like rationalism, or it was uh, opposed to superstition and and religious influence over public life and what have you. Uh, I've seen one quote that says of of their statutes that says the order of the day is to put an end to the machinations of the purveyors of injustice to control them without dominating them. Which that that that's I'm not quite sure. What the distinction is there, but um, well, it's basically leaning on people to be better human beings without actually expressly ordering them to be better human beings. So it's using guile to make people better. And yeah, research on this is 
kind of ambiguous as to exactly what the purpose of the Illuminati was, in part because when the Illuminati order was suppressed and disbanded, actually very little of it remained other than just footnotes in history. So some people, yes, say that, yes, as a rationalist, Weishaupt was interested in promoting rationalism. Others say, no, the real thing that was kind of the driving force of the Illuminati of Bavaria was to promote freedom and equality. They were against corrupt government. They were kind of against monarchies. What they wanted was a kind of democratic egalitarian order of men. I'm assuming it was mostly men. Maybe women would have been allowed in. It's not entirely clear, but definitely men being able to live their own lives without being controlled by a kind of officious state, such as the monarchy of Bavaria at that time. And yeah, the thing which made the Illuminati interesting from a conspiratorial point of view is that they infiltrated other organizations and spied on people to bring information back on the notion that, yeah, you would change institutions from the inside. So Washhelp joins the Masons of Munich, and he wants the Masons of Munich to become rationalists, egalitarians. The Masons are not particularly keen on this because the Masons are not actually into freedom and equality at that particular point in time. They quite like the idea of a state and a, mo- a monarch and believing in God, and Voshop is trying to convert them from the inside, and they're not really enjoying it. Yeah, the impression I got was that he he started up his alternative to the Freemasons and didn't really get a lot of takers, was having trouble recruiting people, so then decided, okay, well, I'll, I'll join the Masons then, and then that, once I sort of have access to their networks, maybe I can convince a bunch of them that they actually agree with me and they should come and, and join my secret society instead of their secret society. And this, this uh, th- th- from, what, from what I read, there's, there was a lot of sort of internal conflict. People weren't, you know, as you say, the goals weren't 100% clear and some people disagreed with what the goals should be or what the methods should be or what have you. And so there was some amount of, I, I don't know, for instance, if they ever actually achieved anything i do know what they what they did achieve was pissing off the bavarian government yeah yeah yes i do know that they eventually uh the the bavarian government banned a bunch of six uh, secret societies including the illuminati and the freemasons um encouraged by the catholic church apparently at, at that time and as far as the illuminati goes the bavarian illuminati that that seemed to be it for them, like as an organisation, it it was just gone. Weishaupt himself uh, stuck around, and um, he he lost his position at Ingolstadt. But he he fled Bavaria and and wrote some books in the exile. He went to Gotha, mm. and I, which I assume is oh yeah, Saxburg, Gotha, yeah, is yeah, another, another yeah. part of what is now Germany. So he wrote some books. He wrote a complete history of the persecutions of the Illuminati in Bavaria. Uh, a picture of Illuminism, an apology for the Illuminati, and an improved system of Illuminism. Bit of a bit, bit of a David Icke feel there, constantly refining his. Yeah, I I get the impression if Adam had been on the talk circuit, it would be just the same talk with new examples year after year after year. Mm. So, like that that may that may have been it for the Bavarian Illuminati, the first organization to refer themselves to themselves as Illuminati, but. Obviously, the Illuminati is still something people talk about as existing today. 
for a number of reasons. You, you sort of you get various societies calling themselves Illuminati, some of whom sort of seem to have been, you know, were just sort of influenced uh, by the original Illuminati, and then others who claim that they are actually some sort of continuation of the original Illuminati, and I'm sure some of whom claim actually the Illuminati has existed for thousands of years or something. And well, I mean, it's, it's like the, the Masonic rites that claim they're descended from the Templars. Like, oh, you know, we, we're the definite descent descendants of the Templars, and people are going... I mean, we know you're not, because we know when the Templar order was disbanded. We know what happened to the Templars who stayed Templars and the ones who went on to the Knights Hospitalier and the like. And we also know that your order was only invented 50 years ago. So we're fairly sure there's discontinuity between those events and these events. But yeah, many people will make the claim, oh, no, we are... We've been the secret Illuminati the entire time. We've just been operating behind the scenes. Now, the thing is, there are kind of two varieties of conspiracy theory about the Illuminati's continuation after being banned after 10 years of operation in Bavaria. You get the interesting and probably unwarranted claims, such as that Vishalp actually didn't die in Gotha in 1830, but actually went to North America and became the person that we now know as George Washington, which seems to be entirely based on the fact that portraits of Vishalp and portraits of Washington look eerily similar, but also it turns out that portraits of almost any middle-aged man from that period of time all look the same because they're wearing the same wig, they're wearing the same clothes, and they're posing in the same way. Mm. But then you get the other interesting conspiracy theory, and this is the one which actually seems somewhat plausible, in that it's taken to be the case that members of the Illuminati from Bavaria, some of them fled to France and were involved in the first glorious French Revolution, which promoted the ideals of freedom and equality. And it's quite possible that people who were devoted to the Illuminati cause in Bavaria ended up in France amongst the bourgeoisie who had shared ideals with them, and they were involved in fomenting revolution in France, or at least setting the seeds for that that revolution. So that seems like a plausible link to go, look, their ideas weren't successful as the Illuminati per se, but maybe their ideals did translate on to other political movements in Europe. Mm. And what's interesting about that is that the original Illuminati, as far as we know the original ones, were an organisation whose whose sort of goals and aims appear to be basically the exact opposite of what the Illuminati has taken to be today. I mean, conspiracy theories around the Illuminati are all around them being secretly controlling the world and 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 you know furthering their own nefarious agenda, whereas the original ones were all wanting to be were all about freedom and 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 equality and and being freed from the shackles of of overreaching governments. Whereas now, they're basically synonymous with the new world order. Now, 
I do have to say, if, if, if you go back, if you search through our archives and go back and listen to episode 13 from July 2014, I, I, I have to bring up the fact that I, I had a running gag that I was quite proud of throughout this episode, pretending to confuse the New World Order with, of course, the band New World Order. And with, with the, you know, so the, the New World Order was formed in the early 1980s by the remaining members of Joy Division after the suicide of their lead singer Ian Curtis. And then you, you, you straight manned me and, and, and said you'd, you, well, you, you're talking absolute nonsense. And I'd go, oh, I have no idea what you mean, and so on and so forth. But I, I can't be bothered keeping that going for this entire episode. But just, 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 just let me assure you, it was very funny, very clever. Well, so I'm actually now in a city where there's a, a famous art mural to Ian Curtis just up the road from where I'm staying. Oh, suspicious. Mm. Is it? Yes. Yes. So, New World Order, also people talk about one world government. The two seem to be synonymous. Pretty much mostly. Sy- pretty much synonymous in them. It's taken that the one world government is an ideal of the New World Order, the idea that will be controlled by the United Nations, will be controlled by the Trilateral Commission, will be controlled by whatever the government is in the left-behind books run by a Romanian who turns out to be the Antichrist. It's the idea that what the New World Order wants is central control over everything, with only the political elites who are truly free deciding how we shall live our lives in slavery and servitude. Mm. The one point that I wasn't clear on at the time, and I'm still not clear on now, is whether the New World Order is a thing that exists now, sort of secretly running running the world from behind the scenes, or whether it's a thing that sort of proponents of the New World Order are working to bring about now, and I suspect it's both, depending on which conspiracy theorist you listen to. Well, you take, for example, Alex Jones. Sometimes when Alex Jones talks about the New World Order, he talks about it as already existing and completely controlling the American political system. And other times, when he's talking about how great Donald Trump is, or how we should get behind Ron DeSantis as president for the next presidential run, it seems to indicate that actually the New World Order is only about to establish a one-world government, and there are brave politicians in America who are able to resist it. So... Yeah, it is pretty much both. Sometimes people say the one world government is already running and we are already not free. And sometimes they're going, well, look, we're only six weeks away from the one world government taking control. That's why you need to buy my food supplements and my male vitality pills right now. Mm. And so then you come to these conspiracy theories themselves and they it's pretty much anything you want to name, really. The New World Order... Illuminati, one world government are both sort of vague enough and to the extent that there are specific things about them wide ranging enough that they can be blamed for pretty much anything bad that happens. They can be folded into, you know, the Illuminati basically were part of the Freemasons at one point. So if you want to bring in the Freemasons, you can say they're all part of it as well. They're all connected to each other. Globalization is one that comes up a lot. Which, which I assume is, is brought up as a sort of sinister thing, globalizing means bringing everything together under a one world government, under a new world order or what have you. So 
it's it's not it's not as as straightforward as other conspiracy theories like moon landings being faked or JFK being assassinated or whatever. Where where here is the conspiracy theory. It's more an element, I guess, an ingredient. That can be well, I mean, sometimes it's taken to be the motivation as to why politicians are engaging in kinds of policies. So you take, for example, the discussion about the single market in the EU. For European politicians, they'll extol the economic powerhouse that makes a single market work. But for people who are sceptical of it, they go, well, it's all part of a... It's all part of a plot to bring all of the control of small European countries under the control of big European powers, whether that be the technocrats in Brussels or the German economists or the French government. And so they'll say it's all part of a motivation. What What the New World Order is doing is they're encouraging people towards this push to globalization so they will get control, even though it looks like people are electing to globalize independently. It's all part of a sinister agenda. And of course, in many respects, globalization has been very bad for many countries around the world. When we see the way that we now get all of our cheap goods from third world countries where people are not paid an adequate wage for the work that they do. So there are there are very, very bad aspects to globalization. But the question is, is it being orchestrated by one kind of central power or a shadowy cabal operating in, in the background? Or is it part of a push by governments go, we need more cooperation, we need more interoperability between systems to make our individual economies work? And we sometimes just pretend that the downsides to that are things that happen overseas, far away. We can't see those things. Nobody cares. Don't look at the label on the back of your clothes. Mm. Now, this, the, the, this this sort of aspect of it brought up an interesting point that we discussed way back in episode 13, which is, do you have to know that you're part of a conspiracy to be part of a conspiracy? Because the, the Illuminati slash New World Order slash One World Government plots are said to be so big and so wide-ranging that it seems plausible a person could be working to further the goals of your New World Orders or your Illuminatis without even knowing it because they're part of this big system that's controlled from the top. Does that mean they're part of a conspiracy? And as a more general point, does every conspirator, does every member of a conspiracy have to actually know that they're part of a conspiracy? And the answer to that is found in the article that Martin Orr and I wrote, for social epistemology, secrecy and conspiracy, where we talk about the notion that when it comes to the organizational structure of conspiratorial works, sometimes you get monolithic conspiracies where there's just one organization at the top giving direct orders to everyone beneath it, and essentially you might have some patsies in there, so the, you know the, jan- the janitors who work in the Twin Towers who are who've been told don't go into this particular room when the controlled explosives are being put in. Technically, they're part of the conspiracy, but they have no idea of what their role is. And you get diverse conspiracies where you've got lots of different organizations that have to interact to some degree for the conspiracy to work. And you could have entire organizations which are playing bit parts in a giant conspiracy. But all they're doing is kind of processing paperwork 
unbeknownst to them what that paperwork actually is going to mean long term. So yeah, you could be part of a massive conspiracy without ever actually knowing that you're involved in it, let alone how crucial your role is for the success of that conspiracy. Now, I'm assuming you and Martin had not written that paper at the time we first recorded this episode, July 2014. I'm assuming they, yeah, 20, it came out in 2016. Mm. So I think you were writing it in 2014 because we, Marty and I met at the conference in 2014 that was held at the oh yeah the the university of miami which was run by joe usinski or was that 2016 i have completely lost track of time mm, actually it's 2016 mm. so at any rate the point is it's good that we revisited this topic because now we have an answer to a question that we asked almost nine years ago. Yep, I've answered it myself. Excellent. So the, the other thing that's a bit more fun to talk about is all the, all the, um, the imagery stuff and the, 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 the talk of, of secret hidden symbols and what have you. So obviously the Illuminati symbol, we, we, we've all seen it, the eye within the pyramid, the, the triangle shape. With that. Actually, that's one thing I didn't look up. Is that a symbol of the original Bavarian Illuminati? Or did it come along later? Or is it something that's been around longer, but the Illuminati just co-opted it? So the eye in the pyramid, the eye of providence, has been around for a long time. Mm. And I believe actually it's been used in Masonic symbology for a long time as well. So I can imagine the Illuminati borrowing or appropriating it for their own use. But I actually don't know whether it's actually part of the standard imagery that they used at the time. And that might be because we don't, really know that much about the original Illuminati, other than we know they were suppressed, and we know that Bosch Help then went off to write a whole bunch of books apologising or trying to explain what his real mo- 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 motives were. I'm actually not aware of there being any discussion of symbols used by them at the time, but as a secret society which is trying to avoid surveillance by the government, I imagine they probably tried to avoid having symbols entirely. I think so, yeah. But nevertheless, any time that symbol shows up, it's either pounced upon as being something Masonic or something Illuminati-ish. At the time we recorded back in 2014, there had been a bit of a stir about Lady Gaga, who in her earlier videos, I think it was the Poker Face one first, had a thing where she kept putting one hand over one of her eyes and and people jumped on that as saying that was that was meant to be, that was a reference to the Illuminati, you know, covering the horizon. So only a single eye is showing, like the eye of providence. There was at the time I did a I remember the time I did a quick look about sort of Illuminati symbols and relation theories and what have you, and came up with one theory that uh, the Illuminati, the, the death of Brandon Lee on the set of The Crow was actually, had, had been orchestrated, was, was no accident and had been orchestrated by the Illuminati. Now, Josh, we've was watched the film Dragon. We know what really killed Brandon Lee. Oh, yes, it no. It was the family curse. It was the family curse, yes. But was the family curse caused by Illuminati brethren cursing the Lee family? It's entirely possible we can rule out nothing. So there's a bit of wackiness, and this, this I think, led me to what I still maintain as the cleverest thing I've ever said on this podcast, which is the line of reasoning that goes, the Illuminati symbol, the Eye of Providence, is, is, is entirely strange and weird and bizarre, and is 
can be thought of as essentially in its simplest form a circle within a triangle. Circle being sometimes simply a geometric shape, but also symbolizing uh, nothing or, or the number zero. Zero, which of course in certain contexts, contexts in particular tennis, but in others is referred to as love, thereby making the symbol of the Illuminati a bizarre love triangle, proving that I was right all along and that the New World Order literally is New Order. I rest my case. I feel that you say the smartest thing I've said about previous ep episodes quite a lot. It's because everything I've said is the smartest thing I've ever said. That may well be true. Mm. That was the smartest thing I've ever said. And what else? Uh, so last time we talked a bit about the Bible stuff because any, any time, when you get your sort of your, um, uh, what was the series? Left Behind, the Left Behind series, and anything that's to do with sort of fiction, sort of Christian-themed fiction about the Antichrist coming to power and taking over the world, the first thing they always do is set up a one-world government. And I was never quite sure what that had to do with it like what why why is it a characteristic of the of the antichrist that they set up some sort of a new world order and why why is it something that christians of a certain stripe appear to be uh very afraid of so it's all right so i'm gonna go i'm going to engage in a bit of folk socio sociology of christian christianity here because the kind of people who are interested in the tribulation, the idea there's going to be this period of between seven to a thousand years of control of the world by the Antichrist. They tend to be Pentecostal. They tend to be Protestant. They don't tend to be Catholic. They tend to think that the idea of there being a centralized religious authority and the thing about the one world government you get in these kind of tribulation periods is it's not just a one world government, it's a mandated world religion at the same time. They take it that that's a perversion of what Christianity is meant to be. So it's the idea of getting everyone to believe the same thing and also to pervert that belief. And that's why they're so again a one world government, because it's going to be run by the Antichrist. And that's going to mean it's really not Christian, even though ostensibly the Antichrist will present themselves as the second coming of the Christian Messiah. So, yeah, they're against the one world government because it's going to be controlled by the Antichrist. And they're going to make people believe the wrong kind of thing. Mm. It's an interesting theory, but I do feel like we probably need to go and watch the Omega Code several times again just to be sure well, i would say watch the omega code 2 the first one i don't think stands up to rewatch but omega code 2 with michael york saying bring it on to god mm. great film and it does swap casper van dyne for michael bine so i think that's that's got to be a positive move so that's pretty much what we talked about last time that's that sort of caught you up but as we say it was almost nine years ago What's happened in the interim? I think the main thing that's happened in the interim is QAnon, because QAnon now seems to have become the umbrella term under which all of these sorts of conspiracies get lumped. So, well, I mean, basically, ever since people started talking about the deep state, the deep state yeah. has become synonymous with an organization that works towards a one world government. And that's fascinating because when you think about sitcoms like Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister, where the entire premise of Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister 
is that there is an eternal civil service which is unelected, which is persuading ministers or prime ministers to follow what the civil service wants rather than what the electorate wants or what the party wants. And so, yes, minister and yes, prime minister is a comedy about the idea that you might think politicians have a lot of power, but the civil service is always there undercutting politicians at the last minute, doing what they think is right. And so for a long period of time, when people talked about the deep state, they were talking about the civil service and the idea that politicians are nowhere near as powerful as people think they are. The civil service is the real powerhouse of any political economy. But in recent years, the deep state has gone from simply being the unelected bureaucrats who are resistant to change to the idea that actually the deep state is controlled by some deeper power. Sometimes it's rich technocratic billionaires, other times it's evil Satanists, and that they control the politicians. It's not that they pervert what politicians want to do. They're the ones who are actually the puppet masters who make politicians act the way that they do. And so, yeah, QAnon has kind of tapped into this new way of talking about the deep state and has become in some respects, the most popular version of that kind of perversion of the deep state mythos. Mm, because all of the all of the, the evil, the, the Satanists, the, the, the kidnapping children and drinking their adrenochrome and and then Adrenochrome, Lisa needs braces. And 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 then I mean you know, even you can go as far as your David Icke shapeshifting lizard people or what have you, but it all it it, it all used to fall under the sorts of things people would talk about when they talk about the New World Order, and now when people talk about the New World Order, they tend to talk about it in the context of QAnon. So it's it really just does sort of seem to be a new label. Or it, it, It's interesting that it started off as its own thing, but then ended up becoming the the, the label for the, the umbrella term for the sort of conspiracy theory that's been around forever, it seems. And also, now I wanted to, to go back, we talked about globalists, and globalism before that term, I it may just be me. It may just be a, a, a sort of what do you call it? Confirmation bias or recency bias or something that I'm happening to notice it more. But it seems like talk of globalism and globalists has increased since we last talked about this stuff, and, and especially in the sense that the term globalist is often used as a euphemism for Jew, and 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 that the talk of globalism is actually often anti-Semitic conspiracy theories with with a slightly more palatable name have you do, do you feel that's changed in the interim or is it just am i just noticing it more i mean i'm going to agree that talk of globalism does seem to have increased as a kind of political rhetoric so thinking here about you know people like victor orban in hungary donald trump in the u.s various uk prime ministers in the uk because i could name a uk <laughs> prime minister right now it may not be the uk prime mm. minister by the time this episode is released and yeah there's been as you've got more isolationist more nationalistic governments who are going we're going to go it alone we're proud we we don't need out out outside help they've started talking about global threats, the idea of globalization being a bad thing, which when you think of the conservative government in the UK, which was really, really keen on globalization under prime ministers like Thatcher, 
and then really against globalization under PMs like Johnson and Liz Truss and possibly current Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. But once again, it may not be Anything Prime Minister by the time this episode comes out. So yeah, talk of glo- globalization has definitely become a political rhetoric. And certainly there are certain people who are associating globalization with particular global financiers. So George Soros with the Open Society Foundation. So, you know, a Hungar- an American-Hungarian Jew who also spends a lot of money promoting liberty and open democracy around the world. And people are tying that into the notion of there being this large-scale Jewish conspiracy. So I don't think it's necessarily globalization is synonymous with anti-Semitism. I think there are lots of people who are anti-globalization without having any anti-Semitic aspects to it. But there are also people who are quite deliberately picking which figures they take it are promoting globalization. And it is curious that they either are Jewish, like your George Soros's, or they're Jewesque, like the claim that Jeff Be- Bezos, who isn't a Jew, actually is still kind of Jewish in his outlook and worldview. Now, Josh has to go off to do something, so I'm putting a clap in here for an edit point. I agree completely with what you just said. Good, good. Uh, so... That's kind of the end of the episode. Uh, To be honest, the most interesting thing I learned when writing this was that the spell checker in Google Docs knows the word adrenochrome and corrected... Lisa Nespresso's. So there you go. That's the Illuminati for you. It's... It's interesting to look. I, I, I think I think the origins of the Illuminati are probably the most interesting thing about them these days because they they've just sort of become just just one of those terms, one of those those cliches really of conspiracy theories. But to know that they originally started as something kind of the opposite of what they're supposed to be now, and indeed only really lasted about not much more than ten years before. Um, and never really achieved much either. Yeah, for an organization which didn't last for long and had, as far as we can tell, no real long-standing effect on Bavarian society, they have persisted. And I mean, part they've, pers- they've persisted because of the criticism against what they did. So even though we don't know much about the Bavarian Illuminati themselves, there were strident critics of that particular kind of rationalistic, freedom-orientated, hippie-like view expressed by the conservatives of the day, and they're the ones who kind of kept the spectre of the Illuminati alive because it wasn't the left who feared the Illuminati, it was the right, it was the conservatives who were concerned that there were liberalizing movement in the secret societies they lived in that actually might be trying to improve the lot of common people. And that, that could not be tolerated. No. People need to know what their place is, Josh. They shouldn't have rights. They shouldn't be able to demand things. They should live in the muck where they belong. Mm. It's possible also that um, he just picked a cool name. And maybe like people like the sound of Illuminati. It's 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 got that Latinness to it. Sounds a bit classy, a bit clever. 
Um, so yeah, it is. It, it is good. He settled on that name rather than sticking with the, the with the original. Perfectibilistan. Yes, I can't remember. I can't imagine uh, would have stuck around nearly as much if we were perfectibilists. No, but for but not 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 as nice a mouth feel. So. That is the end of this episode, but of course there is still to come a bonus episode for our patrons. And in that episode, I'll give a bit of a bit of a what I did on my holiday report, which culminates in the uh, extreme Auckland weather at the moment, which, as luck will have it, uh, has has birthed a couple more conspiracy theories. So then we can talk about them as well, and a little bit of newsy stuff on top of that, because because why not? News happens. You can uh, we've got an earthquake in Turkey. Mm. We've got news about what may have happened to M817. And an interesting tidbit, which isn't really conspiratorial, but is just fascinating, about Congressman George Santos, whose fabulism has taken a rather bizarre turn. Mm. So if you'd like to know about that, uh, you'd better, better go off and become one of our patrons by going to patreon.com and searching for the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. And if you already are one of our patrons, then just sit back and relax, put your feet up, do whatever it is that you do, because whatever it is... Because you know that you're paying for Josh's airfare mm. next week. Exactly. And I thank you. I thank you greatly. So I think that's everything. I'm, I, I'm back more or less. We'll see what happens next week when Cyclone, what's the new Cyclone called? I can't even remember. I think it's Gabriel, or is it Gabrielle? Something like that. Whatever the new Cyclone is that's meant to be hitting Auckland uh, either this weekend or early next week makes its presence felt. That could be an extra spanner in the works on top of the various spanners uh, that we've been covering at the moment, but 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 until then, we'll just have to sit tight and see. So uh, I, I I really can't do anything more. I literally cannot do anything more at this time than say goodbye. Lassie's attitude. Boys are a big fan of mango lassies. I think it's a lassie. Lassie, yeah. Yeah, you know. mango lassie. Well, I'll have one of them as well. But good. Give it attitude. Latitude. Mm. Lassitude. Mm. Lassitude. Yes. Anyway, let's record a bonus episode. Ciao! The podcaster's guide to the conspiracy stars Josh Addison and myself, Associate Professor M.R.X. Denter. Our show's conspiracy producers are Tom and Philip, plus another mysterious anonymous donor. You can contact Josh and myself at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider joining our Patreon. And remember, nothing is real, everything is permitted, but conditions apply.